Hello, my degenerate angels. Welcome back for a very special Thanksgiving episode. Um, Instead of kind of going the traditional route and me sitting here for an hour telling you all of the reasons why I'm thankful for my life and what I'm thankful for this year and you know counting my blessings and so on and so forth. Nobody needs that. Instead, I wanted to find a way to show you all how grateful I am for you and for your support and for your belief in me through all the times that I've rebranded, for those of you who have been following me for a long time, and for those of you who are newer here, um, to say thank you for taking a chance on me, whether that was from Dumois or a friend or an enemy or you know someone holding a knife to your head saying that you have to listen to this podcast episode or there will be hell to pay, um, and also just kind of give everyone a chance to get to know me a little bit more. For the first time in the six years, Jesus, that I've been working on the internet in various capacities, this is the first time that I've ever really been like, yeah, I want to open up the floodgates and let people ask me questions and answer them honestly. So for our special little Thanksgiving episode, I asked you guys to submit anything you wanted. I put out an ask me anything. And um, this is the first time I'm ever looking through the questions. So there was no preparation. There was no ordering of the questions. There was no, you know, me kind of giving myself a a safety net. Instead, I'm opening them right now. And we're just going to dive headfirst into it and see what happens. I think you guys can like hear me nervously giggle into the microphone. I don't... ah! This actually seems like a good place to start. How did you become a podcast host? I graduated college. I was bitches be gluten-free. Interesting era for me being a health food blogger, but a health food blogger with a sense of humor. So that expired after a certain amount of time. I knew I didn't want to be in food, but I had this audience that was very health-centric. So I was like, okay, how can I take this audience and bring them into what I actually want to be doing, which is more comedy and also like mental health talk, which at the time was very taboo. So I created Health as Hell as an Instagram platform and as a podcast. And this actually feels like kind of a topical thing to answer because when I was dealing with a lot of barstool trolling a couple weeks back, um, these guys were smart. Like they didn't come at me and say, oh, she's ugly or like, oh, she's, you know, this, that. It was like this girl has not had a good career. This girl is has never been in a movie. She's had multiple failed brands. Like there's a lot of people who took the angle of like her brands have failed. And I'm like, well, thanks for keeping tabs on me for the past five years, you fucking weirdo. But it's a good opportunity for me to clarify that like my brands didn't fail. I was making money with all of my brands. I was meeting amazing people with all of my brands. I had an agent. I had people who were offering me book opportunities and and were, you know, pitching me out for things. The only reason why I went from Bitches Be Gluten-Free to Health as Hell to Tales of Taboo slash Ali Weiss World was because my interests changed or not even changed. I just kind of got back in touch with what I actually wanted to be doing. And that was not food. And it was not full-time kind of anti-wellness wellness blogger. What I've always wanted to be doing is entertaining and telling stories and finding ways to encourage vulnerability and connection through entertainment. 
So for anyone listening to this who hates me, who has been coming at me saying that I'm a big fat failure, there are plenty of nights where I stay up wondering if you are correct. But in the case of my brands failing, that's not true. <laughs> Let's just jump into it. Let's just jump into it head first in the, uh, in the spirit of the holidays. I got so many questions asking if I was bisexual or asking if I was interested in the same sex. So, you know, I should have expected this to come. Uh, I did put out an episode when I was still health as hell about an all-female sex party that I attended on multiple occasions. I have never spoken outwardly about this because I, I don't really know how to define myself. I don't know that I could see myself having a domestic life with a woman. I am definitely very attracted to both genders. I am somebody who pays attention to somebody's energy and how I feel around them. And I fundamentally believe that sexual connection is sexual connection. Look, there are some people on this earth who have sexual connections with trees. I don't get that. I don't relate to it, but a, a, a tree's a living thing. I don't think that I am deep enough into my exploration of my interest in women to be able to label myself concretely. And, you know, I'm not blind. There's a lot of backlash on the internet and in certain sectors of the LGBTQ community about oh, you know, straight women experimenting with the same sex and now all of a sudden they think they're bisexual, but they're really just like fishing for it or queer baiting. And I don't ever want to be seen as somebody who is just like conveniently hooking up with women. God, <laughs> I've been recording for like five minutes and um, right away we're just jumping into it. Somebody asked, did you always know exactly what you wanted to do or did it just naturally progress to where you are? That's a good question. When I was in high school, um, I did not do well in school. Theater was always a just this thing that I did where I really felt seen and I felt talented. And if I'm being honest with myself, I also think I used it as a crutch. Like it's the same way that I did in college. I wasn't good at school. I didn't give a fuck about school, but I was talented on stage and I took it very seriously. So my teachers, my professors would come to see me and they would be like, oh, okay. But I was curious about the world in ways that were not um, like accepted and encouraged by the theater program. We were basically told very strictly that like if you had a plan B, you weren't a serious artist. I'm not joking. They were like, if you have a plan B, if you have other interests, if you are willing to have a job other than a survival job, other than being a barista, you are not committed enough to your craft. If, if your job as an actor is to reflect the human experience, but you have no experience because you spend all your time in rehearsals or at auditions or like hidden from the world on a TV set or inside a theater, you have no idea how the world works. 
And I've always had this curiosity about people, about subculture, about travel. I've always been somebody who wants to just dive in headfirst to every single place that I could possibly find a good story and come out of it knowing a little bit more about like why people do what they do. It kind of just serendipitously happened that when I came back to New York from school, you know, I, I worked a bunch of other jobs and that's for another episode. We'll, we'll definitely do like an odd jobs episode because contrary to popular belief, I was not just sitting on my ass for the past six years, you know, living off my parents' money, waiting for something to happen. I worked some seriously weird jobs in various sectors of entertainment, but I started getting hired for personality-oriented stuff, for more on-air hosting stuff, and that gave me permission to become kind of more journalistic in my work. So I've been doing that for a long time. And we all know I've had two podcasts. I've had multiple usernames on Instagram. But I think now at 28, um, I'm starting to not lose my like hunger for my experiences with strangers and for just kind of being out and like amassing experiences constantly. But when you do that for long enough, you do start to get tired. And I am starting to think about like, how do I parlay that into work that not only like makes sense of all of the experiences that I've had over the past six years, but also can get me back to where I ultimately want to go, which is to be a writer and a performer. Um, someone asked me about like hallucinogenic mushrooms. Yeah, I like those. I've done plenty of episodes about those in the past. Go listen. Um, let's see. What's your biggest regret, if any? Okay, that's another interesting one. I do regret not moving out of my parents' house earlier. I really did not have that experience of being between the ages of like, how old are you when you graduate college? 22 and like 26, where you, you're you out of school, you're young, you don't have a ton of money, um, at least not of your own. And it's just like you and your friends in the city and you have to just figure it out and take care of yourself. And there's not somebody there to wake you up every morning when you're hungover. And there's not somebody there to do your laundry. And there's not somebody there to crawl into bed with when you're feeling sad. I am such an independent person, but I I, I really feel as though I missed out on this very important part of my life of being clueless, surrounded by other clueless people. I was a clueless person in my young and mid-20s who lived in like a residential family-oriented building with my parents who made sure that I really never had to be, I never had to struggle too hard. Like I struggled so much internally. And again, we've talked extensively about my depression, my mental health issues, but they were always there to like hold me and tell me that it was going to be okay. I think I really could have benefited from not always having that and living in a small shitty apartment and, you know, having more of a rotation of strangers in and out of my bed and, you know, kind of being able to make more of these decisions without having to tell my parents like where I'm going every time I leave the house. And that's not to say that 
I can't start doing that now. Like I'm only 28 and I have an amazing living situation with my best friend from high school. And it's really going to be like a frat house, at least for the next year or two. Um, And then, you know, tons of people decide that they don't want to settle down and have families until they're halfway through their 30s. I'm not somebody who believes that like once you turn 30, it's all over. But um, I am surrounded by people who are in more long-term relationships and who are starting to think about like having kids who are more settled into their jobs. And (laughs) that's not really the case when you're 22, 23, 24, and all you care about is like getting fucked up. Um, And so, yeah, I do. I do regret that. I do wish that I had less of a safety net because I think I would have been farther along in my career had I had more pressure. And I also think it would have made me a little bit more resilient. Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt lost? If so, how did you gain direction? Oh, babe, my I've been lost my whole life. <laughs> I've been lost in my brain my entire life. As we just said, I've rebranded a thousand times. I've I've always felt like I'm in this state of just like existential panic. And as somebody who's naturally anxious, I wake up every morning and my the heart is beating out of my chest. Um, God bless clonopin and CBD together in a fat cocktail. Um, how did I gain direction? Okay, I I think the one thing that we as a Western society are not asked often is like, what do you like? You know, we're always asked like, (laughs) what, what are you good at? What could you potentially translate into making you money? And then there's this kind of elusive question that people always ask of like, oh, what's like your passion? Like what, what fuels you? What do you stay up at night thinking about? But there's, there's space in between that, which is like, what do you like? What do you enjoy doing? What can you spend lots of time doing simply because you like it, not because you think it's your all-consuming purpose in life, but also not because it's monetizable? Whatever that is, is what I think you should follow. I think that's your North Star. And I don't know how old you are, the person who submitted this question, but you have your whole life to work. We all need to work to support ourselves, but I mean really to build a career. If your job isn't dependent on your looks, so if you're not, you know, a model or to a certain degree, although the industry is changing, you know, an actress, you have your whole life to kind of build something remarkable and leave a legacy. When you're young and you have energy, You should be using that energy to try absolutely everything that you can. Another way to gain direction is to try a lot of different things and figure out what you don't like. It's so much more valuable to know what you don't like than what you do like out of the gate or even through your experiences because that makes it easier to figure out what you do like. So forget this whole kind of yogi existential, oh my God, like what's your purpose on this earth? And forget what can make you six figures or what can make you a million dollars because happiness and money are absolutely not correlated. Think about what do do you like? What just like makes you happy or even makes you feel content on a day-to-day basis? And that is probably something that you should look to turn into, not necessarily a job, but just like a very central part of your existence. Someone asks, what are your pet peeves? Okay. 
first and foremost, loud chewers. My mother is the loudest chewer. I love her so much, mom. I know you're listening to this. I'm so sorry, but she chews so loudly and it's just like, and there's never food like coming out of her mouth. There's never food on the corners of her mouth. That's disgusting too. It's like people who have either food or like spit, like crusted on the corners of their mouth. My mother is a very clean woman. She's very meticulous. She does not have that, but she does chew loudly. And every time she chews near me, I have to be like, mom. Also people eating bananas, right? Like people always think that eating tuna or eating eggs is the most offensive thing that you can eat on an airplane. And it certainly is not enjoyable to smell that when someone's having a cheeky snack. But when people eat bananas and they make that noise, they're just like, oh my God, oh my God, it makes my skin crawl loud chewers. I don't even care if people chew with their mouth open. I don't even think it's disgusting to see like what's the word masticated food in someone's mouth. I think it's disgusting to hear them chew. I love you, mom. Please still buy me a Christmas present. Sorry. Um, So that's a huge pet peeve of mine. I also think that ghosting is disrespectful. I would definitely call that a pet peeve. I think that like on either side, on my side or from another person's side, doesn't matter who you are, like business, relationship, if you spend the time with somebody, if you give somebody time and they give you their time and you share things about yourself and you inhabit the same space, if it's just not working, like grow the balls to tell them that it's not working. It's not hard. You don't have to call somebody. You don't have to take them out for coffee. I mean, if you're in like a long-term serious relationship or working partnership with somebody, fuck yeah, you have to have the respect to do it in person or at least on the phone. But if you've been out with somebody twice and it's like casual and it it you know it doesn't feel like you guys have a serious stake in it, at least send a text message saying like, I'm sorry, you're awesome, but I just don't feel the spark. Because ghosting is really damaging. It makes people not trust people. And the less that we all trust each other, the less success we're going to have with dating. And my generation and Gen Z loves complaining about how difficult it is to date and how difficult it is to make like earnest connections with people. That's because we don't trust each other and we don't trust each other for a lot of reasons, mostly though, because we ghost with no problem or we meet on apps and we'll talk for weeks and then we'll never meet. Or we'll meet on apps and then we'll meet and then we'll never talk again. I mean, there's a lot of like disappointment here. And a lot of that disappointment comes from like how terrible we are at communicating. So get it together. Stop ghosting. Someone asked, do you have any interest in a serious relationship? You seem to love single life. So yeah, I do have a lot of interest in having a serious relationship. Um... I think that if I'm being honest with myself, the past couple of years that I've been single and I've wished that I was in a relationship, I don't I don't think I was ready for it. I think the universe was doing me a huge favor. And there were certainly some people that I met where I was like, oh yeah, like I could totally see myself dating this person. But it had so much more to do with the fact that I was lonely and less to do with me really being able to show up halfway for someone. Um, Now I've done so much work on myself, but I also have this life that I've built that's like by me, for me, without 
anybody else. Like, it doesn't matter. Basically, what I'm saying is I've built a life preserver for myself, so I'm not as invested in another person's life. Like, I know that this is going to be really shocking for a lot of people listening to this, but there have definitely been times in my life where I have seen my purpose as being like someone's partner and a mom. Like, I don't have housewife aspirations necessarily um, because I'm not like, you know, hoping that somebody pays my bills and that I never have to lift a finger in like the stereotypical version of what it means to be a housewife. But I do value family so much and I do value support systems so much. I mean, I grew up in a home where my parents are still together and they still love each other. I have very intense friendships and you know, I also like love, love. I I love being loved and giving it. And there's been like a lot of kind of hysteria in my life through my 20s because of the experiences that I've gone after. But I've always wanted to have someone to share them with. I think in my younger 20s, my mid 20s, I was too dependent on um, my partner making me feel validated but a lot of that was because I wasn't happy with my, where my career was at. Now that I am actually happy with where my career is at and I'm proud of the things that I've built and I have purpose and goals and plans for the next five years, um, I feel like I want to be in a relationship for the right reasons, you know? Like I'm ready to just like vibe the fuck out with somebody and be in love and have fun and chill and not like be so feverish about that person making me feel like I have worth and purpose even when my career is not giving that to me. How do I get past shyness? You know what? I actually can answer that. So this is an episode full of surprises. I am more introverted than people would imagine. I think I am the most extroverted introvert or introverted extrovert that you have ever met. Um, I am somebody who is very good at like large crowds and strangers and any sort of kind of performative like audience performer dynamic because through the years I've learned to dissociate. I like have either a full-blown persona that I dive into when I'm working or there's this crazy sensation of just like rising out of my body. When I was hosting my Vice show up in Canada, that was like the most stressful job situation I've ever been in. Like I showed up to set, was through hair and makeup, 30 people were on the set, a legal team, stylists, assistants, producers, people from Vice, people from the weed company, like the whole thing. And I was just dolled up, sat down on the soundstage in front of the camera with the lights on me and was basically told, go, like do it. And in order to do that without dying of embarrassment, there needs to be like a disconnect between your body your voice, your spirit, and like your actual soul, like who you really are when the workday is over. And I, I'm trying to be better about having a work-life balance, but I think because so much of my work is very like communicative and social, um, 
I, if, if I didn't have that kind of shield or if I didn't have that ability to kind of snap my fingers and like rise out of my body and be like, okay, this interaction's like not real. I am immune to any humiliation that's inevitably going to come from this. Um, if I didn't have that, it, it would be a lot more difficult for me. Pizza, pepperoni or plain, always plain, like a good quality plain slice. Pepperoni gets really boring really fast. Like it's delicious, but eventually you take, you know, when you take that bite and you're just like, oh, like this is so greasy and like spicy. I'm just over it. Like I don't want to have that. I want to be able to eat three pieces of pizza and then hate myself afterwards. I don't want that to get intercepted. Someone cute asked me out for drinks. Yes. See, this is a good question. If you guys want to ask me about weird sex stuff, someone goes, would you rather laugh or orgasm? That's a good question. Would I rather laugh or orgasm? I would rather laugh because, first of all, a laugh feels so good in your body and it sends all sorts of feel-good chemicals to your brain. But for me, being a show pony, um, when I make people laugh, that feeling of like validation that comes from that is it feels like a full body orgasm that lasts longer than actually having an orgasm. Someone asks, what is the dodgiest, edgiest nightclub you have ever been to? Excellent question. Um, okay. Dodgy I feel like I don't really hang out in dodgy places. The after hours club scene in New York is pretty dodgy. Like I haven't been to an after hours party really since the beginning or like before the pandemic started. I just haven't felt the need. But there are these places in Brooklyn that like sometimes they're warehouses, sometimes they're literally just like people's houses where they open the door and there's a line and you pay like an exorbitant amount of money to basically just like have a place to do drugs. Um, And you're surrounded by people who are smoking and snorting and shooting like everything that you can imagine. I don't love being in that kind of environment. My drug usage is like meticulous and is also like meticulously engineered for social settings. Um, I don't really feel the need to like pay a lot of money to be around a bunch of people who are also getting high so that I could feel better about getting high, um, if that makes sense. So I try to avoid dodgy situations. Edgy, however, I have been to a couple fetish parties, which are cool. And I went to some good ones when I was in London and just like I didn't participate. I went more to observe and for the spectacle of it. I was also really young, but going to these parties where people have clearly spent so much time on their outfits and you get to watch like the dom sub dynamic and people are just so unashamed about walking their partner around in a leash or being in a corset so tight it looks like they're going to burst or the super high shoes and, you know, the burlesque artist is naked on stage and there's champagne coming out of all of her holes. I, it was, it's cool. Like I, <laughs> um, it's definitely edgy in the sense that I don't think everybody would feel comfortable there, but it's so special to be in a place where people feel safe to be themselves. Someone asks, 
Do you feel like you're receptive to being told when you're wrong or corrected? Another amazing, weird, specific question. It depends. If somebody that I really love and trust, such as somebody who's in my close friend group, every single person who's in my friend group is there because I trust their opinion and I know that they'll call me out on my bullshit. They don't kiss my ass. And I'm like slightly afraid of them, but like in a good way, meaning like I don't want to fuck around and like be an idiot or like violate their trust because I don't want them to come at me. If one of them say that I am acting a fool, then I'm going to listen to that and be like, okay, yes, I need to change my behavior. Clearly I am falling short. But like if some random person on the internet is like telling me that I'm wrong about something, I I know I don't particularly care about that. Why are they taking their time to try to correct a stranger? I think the one exception to this is if I'm corrected on let's say a social issue. If somebody sends me like a really well-intentioned, impassioned message saying that something that I said or did was insensitive to a particular group of people, yeah, I obviously take that very seriously. But if somebody is coming at me in my DMs saying that they don't agree with my view of like what a good feminist is or somebody that I meet at a party like tells me that they don't agree with one of my opinions, yeah, no, like Sorry, that's just a waste of time engaging in that argument. Ew, someone asks spit or swallow. Like, fuck off. Someone asks a piece of advice that someone has given you that you refer back to often and why. Okay, I think I've said this a bunch of times over the past couple of years of making content, but there's one. I had a lot of problems with theater school, but there was this kind of motto that we all lived by that was drilled into our heads. And it was expectation kills exploration. And I think about this every day. We were taught that expectation kills exploration specifically in the uh, realm of performing and how if you have an expectation of how a scene is supposed to go or a reaction that you're going to get out of people or a certain way that you're supposed to deliver your lines, it's going to remove the uh the, the, uh, the spontaneity from it and your ability to live presently, which is very true. But I think that this can be applied in all different facets of life. I think that this could definitely be applied to dating. I think especially in the age of apps, many people go into dates having like a concrete expectation of what this person is going to be like based on how they present on paper or you go out with someone once and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to marry this person. This is my soulmate. And then you realize, realize two dates later that you don't actually like that person. You liked the first impression that they gave. I think this can definitely apply to career paths, the concept of a five-year plan. I think that realizing that so much of life is spontaneity, if you want to live well, and so much of life it boils down to not having the answers, it makes everything a lot more exciting. Do you listen to Miles Davis? Yeah, I do. How did you become confident? I have coping mechanisms. <laughs> um, I think a lot of I think a lot of confidence that you see emanating out of anybody is to a certain degree not real or based in a coping mechanism. 
Um, I would say that I am confident. I'd say I'm confident like 65, 70% of the time. And then the rest of it, definitely not. The best advice that I can give to anybody, like this is just where I should end the show. The best advice that I could give to anybody is turning pain into humor or turning pain into an asset of some sort is the only way that you can really digest it. There's all of these ideas about wellness and meditation and going to retreats and just sitting in your pain and marinating on your pain. And eventually it'll just kind of like disappear off you, evaporate off you. I don't believe that. I actually think that that's like a marketing ploy from the wellness industry to keep you coming back for more. I think that pain damages us for our entire life. Whether that pain is like how we look or our family or our friends or just general purpose. Like I I think that when something painful happens, it scars you. I think that what you need to do is figure out how to use your pain as fuel and how to turn it into something productive that can either like bring joy or bring awareness And this relates to confidence because a lot of our insecurities stem from things that we've gone through that are painful. Someone says, how do I get over someone who I've had a crush on for two years and when I finally got to be with them, they wanted to keep things casual, so I ended things and I still can't get over them. It's been four months. I've lost all my hope. That's tough. I am a diehard romantic. So the people that I meet that I really do feel bound to, connected to, it's very hard for me to move on. I also think that good love sticks with you forever. So I just tried to hold in that burp, but ew, I I couldn't. There's got to be a burp in episode, guys. (gasps) Oh my God. That's how you know I'm living presently. That's my new brand. Forget me calling you guys degenerate angels. It's like the burp is just, that's the brand. That's the tea. Um, yeah, it's, I think, I think when you have like a really authentic connection with somebody, it is hard to move on. And I also think that like so much of life is, is like artificial or surface level. And I think so many people actually really don't experience real love, um, or try to like grasp onto the first thing that does feel like real love because they want to be able to say that they had it. Um, And so I don't think you need to feel ashamed about not being able to move on from it. I think you need to be careful that it doesn't affect your behavior, that it doesn't make you crazy, that you don't start behaving in ways that you um, ultimately are like embarrassed by or regret. I think discipline is important, but I also think that having feelings is like an integral part of living a full life. Life's a bitch and then you die. That's what they say. So (laughs) lean in. Is there any subject outside of your comfort zone? Another good question. Yes, I choose not to talk about people that I'm dating or having sex with on Instagram or on this show. Just if you really step back and you think about it, like the premise of showing a bunch of strangers, like intimate details about your relationship, I don't really get. And that's not to say that when I am in my next serious relationship, I won't necessarily show that person online. Like it's a part of my life. I probably will. But like, 
updates of relationships, definitely not. Because then also like, what about if you break up? It's not only you breaking up with that person. It's like your audience then has to break up with that person and you have to field questions from your audience about your relationship. So painful. I think about this every time I read about a celebrity breakup. Like the fact that celebrities have to issue public statements to the whole world being like, so-and-so and I are not together. Here's why we're not together. Please respect our privacy. Like, ew, that's so weird. It's hard enough to tell your friends and your family that you can't be with that person anymore. But having to tell a bunch of strangers who then have opinions about it, I also don't want to hear strangers' opinions like about my relationships. And I know that a lot of people have made lucrative careers out of reporting on like the dates that they're going on and the sex that they're having. But again, I I have developed a reputation for being somebody who is pretty shameless and who doesn't feel embarrassment about talking about things that we all talk about behind closed doors. And I love that. And I'm very proud of and grateful for it. But I do need to keep something sacred. And I, I would honestly be devastated if I met somebody who I had a really special connection with and they said to me, I can't get involved with you because like, I don't want to be fodder for content. That would break my heart. Someone goes, if you had to move to the Midwest, where would you go? Not Chicago, lols. I mean, Chicago, like I'd go to Chicago. Another great question. What do you fret over when waking up in the middle of the night? I don't wake up in the middle of the night. When I sleep, I am out. It's like World War III could be happening all around me. I could be in the middle of a decrepit war zone and I would not wake up. It's one of my special talents. I, I don't ever wake up in the middle of the night in a panic. I usually either have, like I call it domino brain, where you think about one thing and then like it leads to a million other thoughts. That happens to me a lot before I go to sleep. And first thing in the morning, I always wake up in like a fit of anxiety. And for that, I have to take medication because otherwise I am not productive. Um, but the stuff that keeps me up at night, it's either like things that I wish that I thought of during creative brainstorming sessions hours ago um, or like ideas for sketches or ideas of things that I want to investigate. Like for some reason, I always have my best ideas in that place in between sleeping and being awake. Um, mm, what are things that you find attractive in a person? Sense of humor, which does not necessarily need to mean cracking jokes, doing a stand-up routine, but not taking yourself too seriously. Taking the piss out of yourself, taking the piss out of me, taking the piss out of the absurdity of life. Like pretentiousness really bothers me. And I think that there's a line between being really knowledgeable about stuff and knowing that you kind of have like a, a remarkable set of skills or a remarkable library of knowledge and then thinking that that somehow like makes you more entitled to things because of it. You know, I really enjoy hanging out with people who know a lot about stuff, whether they're really into like crypto and NFTs or they are in the art world, or they're writers, or they're chefs. Um, I know lots of really remarkable, exceptional people who like kind of shrug their shoulders when you ask them about it and are just like, I don't know, like it doesn't feel like a big deal to me that I know this stuff. Like it's just what I like. And so I do research on it. You know, that's really hot. That's really, really cool. 
Um, confidence is also attractive. And again, that's definitely not like chest pounding, like, look at me, like, that that's not confidence to me. That's small dick energy for men or women. Um, people who can kind of just like exist in a space without having to prove themselves, that's hot. And I also will say like what I find attractive, <laughs> good looks. Um, through the years, I have found myself to be somebody who can be a little bit vain. Um, I'm not someone who cares about their partner having like a perfect body, but I definitely am a sucker for a handsome or a pretty face. Sorry, we are who we are. Have you ever done coke with a celebrity? Great question. Yes. What are people surprised to find out about you? Who I really am behind closed doors. No, um, I've spoken openly about this. Like, I think that who I am in this kind of work that I do is like... 50% of who I am. And the other 50% of me is um, like a total bookworm and a theater geek and is really like cuddly and cozy and likes like animals and babies and wants to be spooned and can be a little needy. And I'm a little shy. And oh, here's another thing. I listen to classical music every night before going to sleep. Ooh, someone asks, how did you end up such an amazing human growing up rich? Thank you, my love. That's nice. Um, Wow, here's another burb at the right time because a little bit of an inappropriate question, but you know what? I'm here for it. Let's answer it. So I think that a big part of this is that, and again, I talked about this in the Growing Up Wealthy episode, my parents are self-made and they own their own business and they work really fucking hard. My parents essentially have like a mom and pop business that's done really, really well for themselves. I realize how much, uh, effort goes into success. My parents were also strict. Like I couldn't have sleepovers because I needed to be able to like wake up and do my homework the next day. My parents always had very, very high expectations for me. Someone asks, how much weed do you smoke? Um, it varies. I have gone for years without smoking any weed. I have gone for long periods of time smoking every day. Right now, I am really enjoying small doses of weed um, for anti-anxiety and sleep purposes. So I was just in LA for a little trip. And um, when I was there, I went to the dispensary and bought a lot of like Um, not just edibles, but also like, um, what do you call them? Slips, like sublingual things and little like pills that you swallow that have one milligram of THC in them and like tons of CBD. I like to get a little bit high just to make life a little bit more manageable. Somebody sent me a link to something about parasites. It's really helpful. Um, someone goes, would you ever live in LA? Best LA story. Oh my God. Okay. So yes, I am not one of those New Yorkers who does not like LA. I actually really like LA. I think LA has a much better quality of life. I think LA is exciting because it's multiple cities packed into one city. So if you change locations, you can completely change your lifestyle 
when I'm staying in West Hollywood, I always want to be like out and about going out doing things. When I'm staying with my friends in Santa Monica, I am so content not leaving the house for a week straight except to go to Erwan. Um, Downtown LA is super awesome. It reminds me a lot of New York. Uh, There's crackheads and jewelry and clubs and crime and it's it's very intoxicating. Um I would not live in LA until I was ready to have a more domestic life. Um I do think that a lot of the social scene in LA is like housebound, which is fun. Like I love entertaining at home even in the city, but I do think that like the lack of spontaneity in LA that exists as a result of having to drive everywhere and the city being so big makes it so that like it's very easy for me to feel lonely there. My best LA story um The one that I want to tell is really inappropriate and it pertains to my sex slash dating life, which I told you I will not talk about. Um, I will say it involved a B or C list celebrity that I had matched with on Raya and we had a pretty cuckoo night out. Um, So instead... I I wrote an article for Playboy about um, this brand, Foria, their suppositories that have THC in them. So yes, it's like basically morsels of THC that you push up your butt. And I was not thrilled with my editor at Playboy. There are a lot of like grammatical errors in there that were not mine, some jokes and lines that were not mine, um, which I can't stand, but That article is up on Playboy's website if you guys do want to read about me um, pushing a bunch of weed up my butt during one fateful night in LA. Someone asks, do you watch Real Housewives? If so, what's your favorite city? I have to admit, I have never been able to get into Housewives. I've tried really hard. So, so far, the only one that I've ever watched where I'm like, I love this is Potomac um, because it's so random. Um, but like even that, it just, it didn't really like hold my attention. I did watch a couple episodes of Housewives that Leah was in, Leah McSweeney in New York. I love Leah. I think she's the shit. The format of the show, just, I, I find it a little bit boring. There's just a lot of like contrived drama and I don't need to watch like 30 minutes straight um, of a bunch of like middle-aged alcoholic women screaming at each other. I will say though, of course, I've seen the clip of Aviva Drasher like pulling off her prosthetic leg and putting it on the table, which is the greatest thing ever and something that I would do in like a prank video. So I am familiar with the housewives, but unfortunately I cannot engage in dialogue Uh, someone is asking for advice for a 25 year old who has no idea what she's doing and is just floating through life. Um, no one knows what they're doing. I know that we've talked quite a bit about this as it pertains to confidence, but you need to remind yourself that whether you're 25 or you're 35 or you're 15 or you're 75, I mean, think about it. When you're a teenager, your hormones are raging you're figuring out sex and drugs and identity for the first time. When you're 25, you're in the place that you're in right now, trying to like somehow segue into adulthood and it's really daunting. When you're 35, 
you might be at the point of having a kid or you've been like raising a kid for a little while, which is like, how does anybody know how to be a parent? Talk about intimidating and terrifying and just being like constantly afraid of like killing your child. And then when you get to the last legs of your life, like when you're like 75 or 85, you're like, oh my God, like I'm reaching the end. I never thought this day would come, but like I am reaching the end. And then you have to fear death. I just feel like life is a whole bundle of questions and is just a nonstop agenda of us feeling lost and confused. And this is why I always emphasize the importance of feeling purposeful, read, walk, shop, develop who you are. Um, But also just remember that like even the people who seem like they have it figured out, it's just a lot of control. Um, and like coping mechanisms to deal with it. The people who seem like they have it the most together are the people who need the most boundaries. Just remember that. What's the worst day you've ever had? When I was going through like the very drawn out process of breaking up with my first serious boyfriend, we were not like in a serious relationship. I also knew that he had started like hooking up with somebody at the school that he was going to, we were long distance and um, we were hooking up. We were having sex throughout the summer in between sophomore and junior year of college. And towards the end of the summer, I had left my shoes at his house one night and he wasn't there, but I knew the code. And so I went in to get them And they were on his desk and it was almost like the universe was sending me a message, like trying to get me out of my misery of being in this in-betweener period. Jutting out of his bookshelf was a card from her, from this other girl that I had known about and I was so suspicious of. And there were various times over the summer that I had like broken down crying, asking like, do you love her? Is it serious? And he was like, no, 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 no. He denied everything. And I found this card and I pulled it out and it was a love letter. Like they hadn't said I love you yet, but they, she basically signed it being like lots and lots of like. So I guess that was like a joke that they had had about like they had kind of gotten serious and, you know, they weren't ready to say I love you, but it was like lots and lots of like, like leading up to it. And there were pictures of them in the card and all these like inside jokes that they had. And it was just like fucking heartbreaking. Like it's heartbreaking now even thinking about it. Like I've since forgiven my ex and we're very good friends. Um but like, I don't know that I'll ever get over this. He caused me a lot of problems. I don't, I love him so much, but he's also just caused a lot of my fucking problems. Um, oh, someone goes, last chance to have a baby that looks like me. That's not scary. Someone says, how to deal with family and friends who are never happy for you and resent your success? That is a good question. Um, I don't know that I deal with too many people who resent my success because I think that the world that I exist in, people have like, quote unquote, real jobs. And actually, if anything, struggle to understand my career trajectory. But I definitely have to deal with a lot of people who who can't celebrate my successes because 
it doesn't translate into like their kind of old school view of success or it doesn't translate into tons of money. But I think that the most important thing to remember is that anybody who's projecting their insecurities onto you, like it's their insecurities. It it doesn't say anything about you. It says everything about them and the way that they view life and the way that they view success and the stuff that's been jammed down their throats. And anybody who's taking time out of their day, even if they are a family member, anyone who's taking time out of their day to like criticize you instead of just focusizing, focusizing, wow, (laughs) okay, focusing on their own shit is what I meant to say. That's someone who's unhappy. That's somebody who's not like in their own bag. (sighs) People asking me about sex toys. I'm not going to answer that. Have you ever thought you were seriously going to marry someone you've been with? Yes. Um, I did think about this with two of my exes and one of them, um, the one that I just said like ruined my life, um, I sometimes do think that we might end up together in the long run. Best, worst, or most odd fan interaction that you've had in real life before? A couple years back, most of my interactions are like very normal and very sweet. It's like people coming up to me in in the street or at parties. Um, I was once like really high at a at a like kind of rave, um, but that, that that was on brand. Like whatever. Uh, I think that the weirdest one. I was in Williamsburg having brunch with my mom. And I was in the bathroom and someone like followed me into the bathroom and was like, oh my God, like, I love you. And I was like, I'm about to pee myself. I was really happy that I didn't have to poop. I mean, girls don't poop, but I was happy that I didn't have to in the moment because that would have been really awkward. It was a very small bathroom and she was like right there. Do you feel like dating in your 20s is hard? I swear to God, I feel like it's impossible to connect with people. That goes back to what I was saying earlier. I think the most important thing is like we all need to have more compassion and we all need to be less afraid of rejection and we all need to stop rejecting each other. I don't mean like hanging out with somebody that you don't like. I mean like stop ghosting. Stop giving people reasons to believe that like men are trash or women are gold diggers, you know, like whatever those stupid stereotypes are. I think that the key to dating successfully is to say yes, to keep an open mind, to not brush someone off just because in the first five minutes of meeting them, they don't like make all the fireworks fly. And on the flip side of that, don't think that just because someone is good on paper because they like have a good job or they have a good family or like you like the way that they answer their hinge prompts, don't fool yourself into thinking that that's going to make an amazing partner. The most important thing to pay attention to in a relationship is how you feel around that person. If you feel as though you can be yourself and if they encourage you to be your best self. So I think that you need to stay positive and also like make the first move, like go out into the world, go to the park, go to the coffee shop. And when you're there, like if you see somebody cute, strike up a conversation, compliment their dog, compliment their jacket, compliment their AirPods. Like, I don't know, just you can do it. Pull it out of your ass. Get less time on the phone is really like the greatest healer. Okay. (sighs) I'm getting kind of tired and like nauseous sitting under these hot lights. So there are more questions here, but I think I'm going to close it out. We'll do, we'll do two more. Um, 
managing a friend breakup, that is extremely hard. Um, I've been through this. It feels more painful than going through a relationship breakup. Um, I also think that like, I don't know if this came from a man or a woman or someone who identifies as neither, but I think with women, our friendships are so intense because we place so much like responsibility and care into the other person. I feel like if we're making generalizations, a lot of male friendships are like, let's play sports, let's play video games, let's gamble, let's go out drinking. Whereas women are like, let's sit around in a circle and overanalyze every morsel of our feelings, which don't get me wrong, I love to do. But I do think that it makes the stakes higher. And so I think it hurts when you have a friend breakup because yeah, sure, like you're not sleeping together and but you still like say I love you and like you still trust that person to like be there when you fall. There's no easy way to do it. I had a friend break up when I was in college. Um, it was not a girl, it was actually a guy. Um, he was gay and he was just like kind of sucked into this other friend group of girls who didn't like me and he had all sorts of like shit about me jammed into his ear. And, um, eventually like I kept trying to hang out with him and he wouldn't respond. And I'd be like, did I do something wrong? And finally he sent me like a big breakup message. And years later he swung back around and he was like, I'm so sorry for the way that I handle things. I think about it all the time. So I think it's the same as a normal breakup. Just treat each other with respect. And even if you're so over that person, you have nothing in common anymore. Just respect that time that you guys spent together and remember that that person did serve like an amazing purpose for you at like an important part in your life where you were growing and getting to know who you were. Last question. Sock, sock, shoe, shoe or sock, shoe, sock, shoe? That might be the best question that has been submitted to me this entire time. I am a sock, sock, shoe, shoe girl. It just would feel way too weird to have like a sock and a shoe on one foot and just have the other foot be naked and afraid. That doesn't sit right with me. So two socks and then two shoes. Thank you to everybody who submitted. If I did not get to your question, I am so sorry. We will do another one of these at some point. I hope everybody has an amazing Thanksgiving, even if you do not have a traditional family unit. um, I hope that you use this time to rest and recharge. Think about the positive things that have happened for you this year in a sea of muck, which we've all been through. Remember that both 2020 and 2021 have been like amazingly communal experiences that in our lifetime we may not have again. Um, Eat. Don't feel afraid of calories. Uh, Make yourself feel good. It's okay to indulge. And if any of you are feeling lonely, uh, like you don't like the holidays, you want someone to talk to, you are always welcome to DM or email me. My email is alleyweissworld at gmail.com. You can also DM me on Instagram at alleyweissworld. If you have further questions that you'd like answered, please feel free to DM or email those to me as well. Um, I'm in a generous mood this week. I love the holidays and would be happy to answer them. I love you all so much. As I said in the very beginning, you are the reason why I have a career 
each and every one of you who takes the time to listen to my show, to submit questions, to write to me, to engage. It means more than I can possibly say. And I am very much looking forward to what is to come for the rest of this year and into 2022. I will see and hear from you next week. And in the meantime, be good. Ugh.